Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How was your fourth? It was fun. I was not feeling patriotic, but we did have a big party at our house. Mm -hmm. Um, We had probably about 20 people over to have food and drink and set off little tiny fireworks and do sparklers and stuff. So it was good to be in community, even on a kind of tough 4th of July with everything going on. How about you? How was your birthday? It was good. We uh, went to dinner and then um, we had the 4th of July with family and kind of the same. Um, We don't, we didn't go see the big fireworks this year since we don't really stay up past nine o'clock anymore <laughs> so that is parenting that is a parenting oh, yeah. move right there <laughs> yeah our families were like oh you're can't you you know the baby will just love it and we were like uh, he's five months old he doesn't know <laughs> it'll we'd have to keep him up way past his bedtime and it would just be like loud and he right. even knows if he would notice what was going on he'd probably just like, be terrified by the loud random noise right <laughs> right yeah so we've got a little while to wait for things like that to be fun sure <laughs> But I didn't mind going to bed early, honestly. <laughs> right? I'm all about... I don't even stay up on New Year's Eve anymore. No, we like, didn't either. Eh. <laughs> yeah. I think the last couple of years, honestly, I can't blame that on the baby. <laughs> so parenting hack, there's a little fake countdown you can do on YouTube if your kids want to do countdown. This is not even pertinent for you now. But a couple of years, we just did like a fake countdown this year. Oh, <laughs> it worked <fun>. just fine. <laughs> like eight o'clock? Yeah, yeah. You t- tell your kids it's midnight. Oh, <laughs> I love it. The beauty of YouTube. Yep, I love it. So what's new in the podcast world? Well, uh, there are a couple of podcasts I want to give a shout out to before I turn it back over to you. And as a quick reminder, we would love for you all to take two minutes and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way for other people to learn about the show and to find us. So please take a couple minutes and do that. And we would love to read your view on the show. But we'll give two shout outs. One is Cindy Brandt, who you might remember from episode 14 on faith shifting and unfundamentalist parenting. I loved that episode. Yeah, she's awesome. And she started a new podcast called Parenting Forward. And I think they already have five episodes up. So check that out. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, love it. Can't wait to listen. Yeah, glad to have Cindy join us in the podcasting space. I think she's someone who probably was a guest on lots of podcasts and then was like, I should do my own, which I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we want to give just one last shout out to our friends over at Pulpit Fiction who have been awesome to share about kindreds on their podcast. And you all probably remember this by now, but Pulpit Fiction is a weekly lectionary based podcast. Uh, where they talk about all the kind of Bible geek things. So if that is something that you're interested in, we would love for you to go check out Pulpit Fiction over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Yeah, and if you have found our show through Pulpit Fiction, we're so glad you're here and welcome. Yes, actually, I've heard from a couple of people that they found us through Pulpit Fiction. So it's always great to have new listeners in the Kindreds community. Yeah, well... um, If you are a Patreon supporter, you have already had access to our Kindred's Summer Playlist. Um, But if you're not, uh, 
the playlist is now live for the rest of our audience. So if you've signed up for our newsletter, be on the lookout for our newsletter coming up soon and it'll give you instructions on the playlist. And if, but if you're not, you can also, if you have a Spotify account um, and you can get a free Spotify account without actually paying for it, you can still have an account and you can listen to it. I think on a web-based platform, you just can't yep, listen to it. Yeah, listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can search for the playlist of made it public. So it's called Kindred Summer 18 and you can just search for that playlist and subscribe to it and then um yeah you'll be able to listen uh on your desktop we'll put a link in the show notes so people can go maybe directly to it yeah and so if you are interested in supporting our show um helping us pay for the cost of just hosting the um, episodes online and interviewing and things like that you can become a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash kindreds we would love your support. And if you want to get on the newsletter, you can just send us a quick email at team at kindredspodcast.com and I will add it add you to our list. You'll get all of our updates. Yay. Yay. So today we are talking about failure and resilience. Wah, wah. <laughs> and <Yeah>. yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If you're resilient, right. you, you get a yay. <laughs> if you're not, then you might stay in the womp womp for a little a little longer. <laughs> but um, I guess I'll start off. I have a little bit of experience with failure. Um, so back when I – I've talked before about how I um, started my career as a dietitian, and I spent the first half of my nutrition career working for the University of Tennessee in Nashville. And um, – I had been at that job. I loved that job. Um, it was really like well suited to my skill set, and I was really passionate about the work I was doing. And then, um, about five years, I had been there about five years when I went to work one day, and my uh, supervisor uh, called me into his office and said that our federal funding had been terminated, um, and they were mm. laying off all of the employees of my federal program. And oh, that was. Goodness. Over 30 people across the state of Tennessee, we, we had like 30 days to wrap up our, our – get our affairs in order, basically. Um, and that was, that was the end of that. And it was really hard um, because I had spent five years building a coalition in Nashville um, in support of food security and um, nutrition education, uh, largely around the schools and um, working with young people and families. And all of that work, it was just going to be gone. There was nobody. It's not like when you leave a job voluntarily and somebody is going to come in and you get to train them to kind of carry all the work you've done forward. This was straight up like, you're done. The program's done. There's no more money for this. Um, You know, do what you can with your last 30 days. So um, it just hit really hard. And um, I took that opportunity to move back to Mississippi, actually. And so I moved in with my parents and um, kind of tried to figure out what to do next. And um, it felt at the time like this huge step backwards because I had started off in Mississippi living with my parents and then I went to college and then I, you know, left the state and I had never really saw myself coming back. And um, it, so it just felt like this huge step backwards. And um, it took me a couple years to really like figure out where I wanted to go next with my career and um what you know really how to how to get back up off the ground you know 
And um, so now I'm in a, a totally different place career-wise, but it's been awesome. And, you know, at the time, folks would tell me, you know, about their, the time that they had lost a job or had a huge setback like that. And they would say, I wish I c- could have known how great my life was going to turn out. Like that that time I got laid off ended up being this like catalyst for some really positive change in my life, but I couldn't know it then. Like you just can't see it when you're in it. Mm-hmm. And I t- tried to take that advice to heart. And, um, you know, for me, it, it really has worked out like that um, because I wouldn't have met my husband if I hadn't come back to Mississippi. And there's a lot of great things that have happened um, yeah. since then, you know? So, um, but I felt at the time, like I was really like sort of unprepared to, to deal with this failure. It was the first time I'd ever really experienced something like that. And, and I didn't really know how to handle it or, or what, what even tools or skills to reach for at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you've had an experience with failure and if you felt like your early life prepared you to deal with that and like what, what that might've been like for you. Yeah. It's a really good question, and I think that my childhood and school had a lot of disappointments and heartaches just with death in the family and parents divorcing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think I encountered a lot of hardship. But when I think about personal failure, I don't think that I was really prepared for that. Um, I didn't feel like it was acceptable for me to even make a mistake, and so... If I could be in control of my outcomes in terms of working hard academically or preparing for something, I just kind of went into overdrive for those things to ensure that I would not fail Mm -hmm. over something I had some control over. Um, And I was thinking as we were getting ready to talk about this that I, I played on a lot of different sports teams and some of them were not very successful, to put it lightly. And I can just remember those moments of failing as a team and how our even the coach in charge was not teaching us about resilience. It was very much about like, you failed and it's your fault. You know, it was mm. just, there was not a lot of encouragement in the moment. Um, and so I think I, I think it instilled in me a real fear of failure and that continues to, to shape me now. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. But I'm wondering about that time in your life. That sounds so hard when the, when the rug gets pulled out from underneath you and it's like the unexpected disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, what helped you get through that time? Like how, what was your journey like from then to where you are now? How did you get through? Uh, so a little bit of therapy that yes. helped. <laughs> we talk great. about that on the show a lot. Like it, that's always something that we, we reach for. Um, and I also, so I was broke. I mean, I had gotten laid off and I was like trying to reinvent my career. So I didn't have a lot of money at the time either, which meant that I couldn't go to a lot of therapy. There aren't a lot of resources um, for that here. So I remember, um, looking online and I found a couple of books and I, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm about to spend $30 on, on a couple of books. I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I, uh, I bought, uh, Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Love and daring, book. yes, and daring greatly by Brene also Brown. Love that book. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, reading them like back to back was—I don't know—it was like therapy. For it sure, was exactly what I needed at the time. Um, because if you haven't read Wild, um, or it really, if you're not familiar with Cheryl Strayed, but it's been made into a movie. I think we've talked about it on the podcast before too. Um, 
Wild is a book of, um, I mean, it's a book of resilience and it's a book of reinvention. Uh, Cheryl Strayed kind of talks about her troubled childhood and then the death of her mother and the sort of decisions that she made as a young adult that really led her down a dark road. And she basically just one day was like, I've got to do something to change my life. And so she hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and she through hiked it from beginning to end. And, um, once she was done, she had sort of let the grief run its course and she had um, shaken off some of the mental load that was holding her back. And I just found that story so inspiring. Like, no matter what choices we make that, like, lead us down um, a path that seems like there's no way out, like, we can always, always come back from it um, and be stronger. And I, I found that to be a really great example of mm-hmm. somebody who could do that. And um, I'm really grateful for that book. Um, and then at the same time, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown is kind of like this uh, more like a self-help style as opposed to a memoir um, where she talks about what it means to be a wholehearted person Mm -hmm. and how living your life wholehearted and in the moment and actually like engaged in joy and the things that make us happy. Like you have to let go of the fear of failure, the fear of looking bad in front of people, the fear of you know, our perfectionist tendencies. And she really talks about how those things hold us back and um, how failure, if we reframe our thinking around it, that failure can really be a gift. Um, Mm -hmm. And so those were some things that I just took to heart at that time. I was like ready to hear it, you know, like. Yeah, that helps. You have to be receptive. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a huge part of it. Um, I was ready to hear it and was really looking for anything that could give me some answers and direction. And um, so those are some tools that I've used. What about you? Well, I want to talk about something that my husband and I have just started doing together. But before that, I wanted to reflect just a little bit more about more current failure and how it's helped me get to the place of realizing what kinds of tools I need to deal with them. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest risk that I've taken in my life was quitting my full-time job to start my own nonprofit consulting Mm -hmm. business, which you've heard a lot about over the last couple of years. And up till that point, I was just very calculated in my life, and I was pretty risk-averse in most ways, I would say, especially financially. But I had the opportunity and the privilege of, of taking that leap and starting a business. And it's just been so much harder than I ever thought. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just so much disappointment. There's so much energy giving that's not reciprocated and contracts that don't come through and leads that never come to fruition. And it's felt like this long string of rejection over the last couple of years. And I have a lot of problematic patterns of thinking about that, that I've started to identify. Um, I think I create a narrative when I get reject a rejection or fail at something, you know, don't get a contract. Um, I create a narrative that all of those things are related and that they're Mm. related to me. Um, and that it's my own personal failing and it's never going to get better. And I was stupid for going out on my own. I mean, it just, there's a downward spiral thinking pattern that is my knee jerk reaction. And while that's going on, there are these other narratives in my head 
of like, this is not the end. You know, I mean, there's there's a little voice that's trying to crack through this bigger narrative that I think is tied back to childhood, like most of our inner voice is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not totally in that place of despair, but it takes me some time to kind of move out of that despair place and into taking action to to be resilient and to keep going. And so I want to talk about this class just for a second. It's called, it's a free class through the website Coursera. I think that's how you pronounce it, Coursera. And it's called the Foundations of Positive Psychology Resilient Skills. Uh, And it's offered by Dr. Karen Rivich, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, so not too shabby. And she's actually a really good lecturer. I think some people, when they're just talking in front of a camera, really, especially academic types, struggle to be engaging. But she's actually a really good, um, she's a really good speaker and very engaging. And one of the things that she talked about that really resonated with me and speaks to the pattern I was discussing is what... What do pessimists do versus what do optimists do when something bad happens? And so she creates these scales. So this might be helpful just to think through as we're as I'm talking about it. Do I believe that this bad thing is caused by something within me, internal, or something external? Mm-hmm. Do I believe this bad thing is stable, meaning it's permanent and going to last forever, or unstable, meaning it's temporary and it's fleeting? And do I believe this bad thing is universal, meaning it's going to affect everything in my life or specific, like only affecting one part that might be really painful, but it's just confined to that one area. So as you might guess, pessimists are the ones who think it's internal, permanent Mm -hmm. and universal. And and optimists think it's, you know, this was about something outside of myself. Um, It's never it's not going to stay this way. And it's confined to this one area. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and optimists also take meaningful action about the things that they can control, that they have some shape over. So I think that I am definitely a pessimist in a knee-jerk reaction way that when something bad happens, I definitely go to that place of just feeling like this is the end of the world and it's about me and why is this happening? Um, but like I said, I've got that little voice that kind of pulls me out. And I think having relationships with people who can help pull me out of that's been really important especially with my husband and yeah and also taking action steps um and a really good example you heard about this a couple weeks ago I found out I didn't get this like very prestigious fellowship that had so many hoops just to apply and I got through the first round where they cut 90 percent of the people and then had to go through all the rigmarole of like going to this in-person interview in another state and like buying the outfit for it and going through all of that. You had to make a slideshow. I had to make a slideshow. I mean, there were so many hoops. And in the back of my mind, when I got the notification that I was a finalist, I felt a little bit of dread in my stomach because because that narrative came up where I said, This Hmm. is just going to be another one of those times when I'm a finalist and I don't get that thing. And sure enough, that's what happened. And that was not a helpful way to think (laughs) because then it just reinforced the negative narrative that like this is all connected and I'm never going to get through. But um, I knew I was a little bit more prepared this time knowing that that might happen. And I had my next step. I had the person I was going to reach out to when that happened and say, hey, this didn't work out. And like, I really want to move forward with you on this thing. And so that helped pull me out of that a little bit faster. And I think that's all we can hope for is just like, can we prepare ourselves for the next time and maybe not go into that dark place for as long? Um, Yeah. 
you know, because we might try to be perfectionist, perfectionist about resilience. And it's really about like just kind of moving along. Like, can we be more resilient the next time? Talk about self-sabotage. Oh, my God. Perfectionists about uh, resiliency. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I'm a perfectionist about everything. So it's it's a problem. But yeah. I don't know. What is that? How does that fall on you? Like, I don't, do you kind of see yourself on those spectrums? Like, where do you think that you fall when something I bad happens? consider myself an optimist. Um, I tend to look for the silver lining of things. And I would say my husband's more of a pessimist. Um, uh-huh. But I think I do sometimes have a tendency to look at the, like, these are the circumstances as they are now and to sort of blow them up as this is how it's going to be forever. Yeah. The permanence as, part. Yeah, that sort of permanence part. And I think, um, but as far as making things personal and about me, I've, I would say I'd probably don't do that as much. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting because that stuff seems a little bit like core personality traits that are probably genetic, you know, but it's not like anything I do. It's just sort of my, my knee jerk response is to sort of look for the bright side or whatever, which can sometimes really aggravate other people. Uh (laughs) You're kind of like Pollyanna about, about something. And I have to remember that, that, people don't always want solutions when they're when they're venting about something that's going on with them like they want to amen that is me I don't need you to problem solve for me I will figure out my problems once I vented to you (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and I mean I need to vent just like anybody else and I don't necessarily want somebody to like throw a bunch of a bunch of solutions at me because a lot of times I've already thought of those solutions I've already like tried half of them I'm already considering the others like I don't need you to tell me things I already know but um but I I would say like where my husband and I might butt heads about things more more often is around this like when when we're dealing with a some type of crisis with the, the house or whatever um the ways we respond to it are usually pretty pretty different um and I'm usually the one that's like okay this bad thing happened let's move on let's move on let's figure out what we need to do and he's more like he wants to crowdsource opinions and he wants to like tell his you know the people that he talks to about problems you know he wants to um vent and he wants to find out what they think and I'm kind of like let's let's just do you're ready to take action I'm ready to take action like right away yeah Mm -hmm. and so I can see like how like you have to be really flexible in your like approaches to to both places on the spectrum I guess Mm -hmm. like you have to be able to move along that spectrum and I think that's all part of resilience too though is, Mm -hmm. is being able to understand where your limitations are and when you might compliment somebody else's and how you might work together and when to ask for help and all of that stuff like when we talk about resilience we're really talking about like a skill set right right definitely and what this course talks about is that even if you might be inclined to be pessimistic in in your thinking like I am I would say um there you can learn the new thought patterns you can change Mm -hmm. the way that that you respond just by practicing these skills so there's good news for everybody if you're thinking like oh I got these pessimistic tendencies I'm like yeah me too but there are ways that we can cultivate them and I, I think it's also good to have relationship with people who think differently about things and talk with mm-hmm. them about it so I'm the pessimist you're optimist this is a good team <laughs> yeah it's a good team it's good balance <laughs> 
I was thinking a little bit about resilience and failure in regards to our faith traditions and what those have to say. And my first reaction was thinking like, maybe there's something good about what more evangelical Christianity has to say about the fact that we're being human means that we, that we fall short and Mm -hmm. that we're, that's just an expectation that's on the floor. And like, I think they go a little bit too far and kind of almost denouncing the inherent good that I think all human beings have is being created by God in the sacred image of God. Um, yeah. And like almost going to like the only good that you have is when you're redeemed through Christ, <laughs> which I don't go that far. I think we all yeah. have like inherent goodness. Um, yeah. But, but there is, you know, I think there's something useful about just saying like, yeah, it's just the expectation that, that things aren't always going to work out. And then there's, you know, a way to, forget ask for forgiveness if you need to yes and Mm -hmm. repent and like change your behavior the next time so I think that there's just like a general theme of that but I was also thinking really specifically about one of my favorite stories that you can find in all of the gospels about this unnamed woman who had suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years which let's be honest she would have died if that had been happening but like for the sake of the story that's what's happening and she's she's spent all of her money trying to get cured by all these doctors this also relates to our women in pain episode episode 21 and she's just gotten worse but she she continues to seek her own healing and she reaches out and touches the hem of jesus's garment as he's walking by and like her reaching out and touching is the catalyst for her own healing and then he turns and says who touched me and they have this exchange where she tells her whole life story And he listens to her and affirms her. He calls her daughter and says, your faith has made you well. So it's this beautiful moment of not just someone like staying resilient, staying like hopeful that change is still possible and like going for it. And then also receiving that compassionate, listening, grace-filled presence of someone who took the time to be there and listen to what she had been through and and to hold that in a sacred way, which I think that story is just a great model for us. Like we can put ourselves in all of the different roles in that story mm-hmm. um, that we can find the model in the woman herself and in the way that Jesus responds to her. It's just it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, it's in my book, Women Rise Up. That'll be out this fall. Um, where I talk about her kind of being the catalyst for her own healing, which is unusual for a healing story. Yeah, and that's the part that I that jumped out at me um, and that I think is kind of key to the resilience is it's like she could have given up. She could have not gone to to the crowd that gathered. You know, she could have stayed home. She didn't have to reach out. She could have, you know, been in that mindset of, that nothing nothing is going to work anymore why bother um but instead she made she took that action she reached out and um she was able to get the healing that she needed and i like that you kind of put the 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 emphasis on that action as opposed to being like a passive recipient of grace or good luck even you know that she actually did make that effort um and i think that's an important an important framing mhm yeah, it, it distinguishes that story because it was a passive healing in the sense that Jesus does not recognize her ailment and touch her and heal her. She, it was her touching and believing that that mm-hmm. would heal her 
that mm-hmm. is the catalyst. Um, yeah, and really, she was breaking all kinds of social taboos by being there. I mean, a woman who was bleeding was not yeah. allowed to touch anyone, much less a man in those situations. And so she's just tenacious. I love that story. Yeah, I like that story a lot, too. I appreciate you sharing that because it's not one that I was maybe as familiar with. I feel like it's not one we hear as often um, in church or when we do. It's more about faith. Like it's mm-hmm. less about action and more about faith. That's the context that I've heard it in before is that she she believed and she kept having faith, which I guess is also it ties into resilience, but I think we're looking at it a little differently. She had um, to go put herself in his path. I mean, she couldn't just yeah. believe it and not do anything about it. Exactly. Exactly. Which I think is really, um, I think that is a really good example of what we're talking about now. And I'm reminded sort of as we've been talking about, um, I see a lot of commonalities in uh, the concepts of like failure and resilience with our episode uh, 20 that we did on apologizing and forgiveness like we have to um in order to like have a a good apology we have to let go of the idea that we are bad and I think in order to like bounce back from failure we have to let go of the idea it's not that I am a failure mm-hmm. it's that this thing failed um this happened to me or this um attempt failed but that that mindset of like i am a failure or i am a terrible person for making this mistake or whatever we have to really be able to get past that in order to move on to the healing the the forgiveness of the asking um you know making the apology and that is an action in and of itself you mm-hmm. know it's not we aren't just forgiven um by someone that we've harmed without asking for it and making amends and so I don't know I just see a lot of similarities here with um, with these things there's a lot to do with relationships yes in in this you know for sure yeah and self-compassion was something we were talking about is one of those skills in your toolbox of resilience is being able to show yourself compassion you know for having made a mistake or just or just honestly getting the short end of a deal I mean yeah yeah, I mean, I didn't do anything to cause a layoff this, you know, in 2011. Right. This was like... Unfortunate. It was just exactly. an unfortunate thing that happened to you. Exactly. It was federal um, stimulus dollars after the recession had run out and the state of Tennessee had not planned for what they were going to do when that money was gone. And so when the money was gone, the program was gone. Like, that, those are things like way outside my control. Um, yes, but I also wanted to make sure we got back because you were sharing about a podcast you've been listening to because I think the nuances of yes. of failure and privilege and who really is allowed to fail, like that's an important part of the conversation that we really haven't had. And I want to make sure we get to that before we go on to our next segment. Yeah, I agree. And I was actually, um, when you mentioned having the privilege of um, being able to take a financial risk to leave your job. Um, Mm -hmm. leave your full-time job and start your own business and that coming from you know you had the privilege to be able to do that Um, it reminds me of this podcast that I've been listening to and uh, people might be familiar with the startup podcast Um, it's been Mm -hmm. on for several years and they've uh, featured over the years like a lot of different business models and different different business leaders but uh, recently they had been um, they did a series on uh, a woman named Arlen Hamilton who is a black woman venture capitalist and she's kind of like yeah she's like breaking ground in Silicon Valley um trying to 
she's created a venture fund that specifically funds startups headed by people of color and women. And she's sort of calling attention to the fact that the startup culture in Silicon Valley is dominated by white, young white men, often Ivy League educated, um, Mm -hmm. often come from money Mm -hmm. and that that money goes to those startups and just stays the like the money just stays in this world of, mm-hmm. of white male leadership. And so she's trying to really break out of that. And she in the over the course of the podcast, she um, talks about how failure in Silicon Valley, like it's this badge of honor, like being able to talk about this time you like spectacularly failed at something is sort of like your foot in the door to be like, I have experience. I learned all these lessons from this huge failure. I took these huge risks. And so you should, um, you should bet your money on me because I've failed and been through it. And now I have shown resilience and all. And she said, that is great if you are a white guy who gets unlimited chances to fail. That's right. But she cannot go into those same rooms and ask for funds and say, I bet on meal. <laughs> yeah, bet on me. I have failed. Right. She doesn't she doesn't get that opportunity because what they what venture capitalists and honestly grant funders, I mean like this is just we're seeing this all the time. If you are a woman, a person of color and you um you get one chance basically. Mm-hmm. And if you failed, not only do you not get another chance, but the person who um, you were accountable to can then move on and say, well, I took a gamble on this one black woman um, and it didn't work. So I'm not going to fund any more black women. Right. And that, so it's like the stakes are so high. And so the there is this inherent privilege uh, for white people um, that we're able to just fail over and over and over. And we get more chances to keep going. And um, the stakes are just so much lower. Um, And so I think that's important to name and to understand that, you know, we talk about failure and resilience um, almost like, so in what this podcast talks about is there's sort of a fetishization of failure um, Mm -hmm. and everybody's got their failure story. Mm -hmm. And I definitely don't want to contribute to that. I think um, exploring the real ways that we have experienced failure and, and moved on from that, like there's, there's value to that. But I do think, um, you know, just acknowledging and recognizing that not everybody has the same experiences with failure that we do <laughs> is important. Right. And we didn't really even talk about trauma, you know. No. And, and that's, that's a different thing. Yeah. That's a totally different thing and not the topic that we talked about today. But I think that that would be an important part of talking about resilience is like folks who who have trauma in their background or even have inherited a traumatic history like people of color in this country um, yeah Mm -hmm. where the stakes are really high too if you think about like I'm I feel like I've heard a lot of women of color in particular saying like they're taking on all that their mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers like couldn't do and so they feel that Mm -hmm. responsibility to make it happen and so there's even that pressure of just a legacy Mm-hmm. Of your ancestry that I, I can't relate to. Um, yeah. So I'm really glad that you named that and we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. And also I want to go look up Arlen. Is that her name? Arlen. Arlen. Mm-hmm. Arlen Hamilton. It's, her, it's uh, her company is Backstage Capital. Backstage and, Capital. Yeah. And what I love at the end of the series. So the reporter that was doing the series on her is a young white woman. And 
they clashed quite a bit about um, because Arlen was very um, like she was aware that the way she might be portrayed would that there might be some racism inherent in that Mm -hmm. and so she was kind of calling it out all along the way Uh and there's this great um, episode that they did as a follow-up to the series where um, the reporter uh, and Arlen Hamilton were on a panel together and it was like a guided discussion and they got to sort of hash out some of the ways that they felt like because their lived experiences were just so different some of the ways that they maybe didn't weren't able to see eye to eye on some things and Arlen was able to say I didn't like the way that you um framed this uh and and was able they were able to actually like really have a conversation nuanced conversation about where they were each coming from and address some things um from the show and I I wouldn't say I don't remember if there were any like apologies if any of that was necessary there might have been a little um maybe off camera yeah there might have been off camera because but it was really I I appreciated the show for allowing us that sort of behind the scenes access yeah because a lot of times um producers of shows will sort of double down on their portrayal of a subject and people are really like put in a vulnerable position when they give somebody the rights to use their story you know yeah yeah and you kind of lose how that's going to be told so anyway I just found the whole um, the whole series on Arlen Hamilton was fascinating, and she also her fund funded a project based out of Mississippi um, that was uh, headed by a young black woman who developed an app that would um, that kind of lowers the barrier to entry for um, low income folks to get bank accounts, and so awesome. it's uh, yeah, like she was sort of exploring why people are more likely to drop out of college and or not finish a degree and because finances had so much to do with that she's trying to come up with like an app-based way to help people manage their finances and so um she was sort of looking at predatory lending and things in Mississippi which is a huge problem and trying to keep people from going to like payday loan places and title loan places and giving them another option and so she developed this app um and I apologize, I don't remember her name, but it was, I believe it was, she was, uh, her story was in the first episode. But she's a ty- an example of the type of startup that Arlen Hamilton's Venture Fund is funding. So I just found, th- the whole series was really cool. I hope people go listen to it. Speaking of things we're reading and we're listening yeah. to, <laughs> we've talked about quite a bit, but I know that we had, we promised that we would share about some fun things this time. Yeah. Since <laughs> our, our recommendations tend to be pretty heavy. And so we were like, let's do something more fun. Um, I'm really excited about what you're going to share. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, me too. I love it. So I've, uh, I think I talked about this on one of my updates that I watched the first season of the Queer Eye for the Straight Guy reboot on Netflix while I was like, I was, I think it came out like the day I had my son. And so I came home from the hospital and I was watching Queer Eye like at three oh my o'clock gosh, in the morning. Oh my gosh, just boo I cried every episode. I did. Yes, I did. Postpartum and Queer Eye is not a good mix. I know. It was so all, well, and I also laughed really hard too. Like I remember like holding, holding my baby on my chest, like as he was sleeping and it was like the middle of the night and he would only sleep while he was held. So we would have to stay up all night with them and, um, 
And I just remember laughing and like bouncing him up and down on my chest and hoping I didn't wake him up. But one of the um, cast members of Queer Eye is uh, Jonathan Van Ness. And he oh, is favorite. The, oh, I love him. I know he is the grooming and like uh, hairstylist uh, expert on the show. And he has. Um, cute. Cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he has a podcast that I love called Getting Curious where he basically is just like curious about random stuff and he invites an expert onto his podcast to just ask them all about it and so he's got some episodes I think he's got one titled like what's up with the opioid crisis (laughs) not cute (laughs) not cute so he he takes some uh kind of heavier topics and then some lighter topics and you can just kind of decide which one do you want to listen to but I the first one I listened to I just kind of blew my mind because he was talking to a Christian ethicist about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and I feel like that the Christian ethics and Dietrich Bonhoeffer are like these really academic like we 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 come across this in very academic spaces so if you don't know just briefly you can go listen to this episode of getting curious I highly recommend it but just briefly um Bonhoeffer was this uh German guy who saw the rise of Hitler as it was unfolding and he was sort of crawling on his Christian community to like take a stand and to understand how their faith was being used um, as a tool for white nationalism and and that kind of thing and so um, we're hearing a lot about Bonhoeffer and the the his writings and his perspective right the cost of discipleship is probably his most well-known book yes yes and so um Jonathan Van Ness talks to this guy about Bonhoeffer and about like the all the things that led up to the the Holocaust and and um it's just a really he does it in such a way like Jonathan's got this really earnest um open way of talking to people and so like no question is too simple no um no expert is like too uh I don't know, has too much cachet that he can't just like ask them simple, straightforward questions. And mm-hmm. and I just love that way of learning um, where we just kind of lay down our sort of um, the the perfectionism and the masks we wear when we're trying to look smart or whatever. And we just lay all that down and we just kind of get real with each other and ask each other questions and learn. Like, I just love that. So I um, highly recommend the uh, podcast Getting Curious as well as seasons one and two of the new Queer Eye for the Straight Guy on Netflix. The favorite moment I had from that ep- the episode, the podcast episode, was when they're talking about yeah Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which again very heady stuff. And Jonathan quotes something he learned in like hairstyling school. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm like, this is perfect. This is it great. is. It is. <laughs> Guys, just go listen to yes, it. Yes, just go. Just go listen it's to hilarious. it. It's really good. It's mm-hmm. actually really substantive too. Um, yes, it is. I have a recommendation of kind of a tried and true when I need a good a good feminist laugh. Um, it's the Womanhood series on YouTube, which is produced by Riot, I think. And I found out hmm. about it from the Unladylike podcast because they had a podcast episode with them just talking about like being gal pals, I think was the name of it. I don't know, hmm. actually, if you listen to it. But I thought they were so funny. Um, the comedians are Aparna Nacherla and Joe Firestone, and they just talk about ridiculous things. Like, one of them is how to become Miss America. They have one about, like, 
uh, surviving puberty. One is how to ruin your body with alcohol. They're very like tongue in cheek. <laughs> but my favorite one is called Do You Need Helmets for Aqua Cycling? And this is an actual real thing. Like I do cycle classes, but this is when the bikes are in the water. And there's just something about the way that they do. I don't know. It just cracks me up every time as they're trying to kind of like escape this awkward aqua cycling class. I <laughs> can't wait. Yeah, they're they're funny. So it's on YouTube? It's on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, if you search womanhood series, it should pop up. And I think, again, okay. I think Riot is R-I-O-T is the one that produces it. But they're a couple of years old now, but I think they're still very funny. I love it. <laughs> I can't wait to look for them. So silly. All right, Ashley, you're up for this episode's Kindred of the Moment. Yeah, so I've got like a thousand kindreds this this moment. Um, we, I would like to lift up just all of the resistors, the folks who are really going out of their way right now to stand up and resist um, these really oppressive, um, outrageous policies, especially the ones surrounding um, family separation at the border. And um, so I'd like to lift up the 600 women who staged the sit-in at the Senate building, um, and they wore the foil blankets that um, Mm -hmm. they had given out to immigrants at the border, and they were almost all of them arrested. Um, We had clergy and others protesting family separation in LA while Jeff Sessions was there. We had Mm -hmm. clergy women, like 200 clergy women protesting outside of the Customs and Border Protection Office in DC. And then my favorite is uh, Patricia Okumu, who was the uh, immigrant woman from Congo. On the 4th of July, she climbed up the Statue of Liberty to protest ICE and family separation. And um, she was arrested uh, she was with a group called, I think, Rise and Resist, um, and ha- who had been having a um, a protest against ICE that day on the island um, that the statue is on. But she actually like climbed up it, and um, they pulled her down, and they uh, or police officers pulled her down and arrested her. And then when she was released from jail, she gave a um, some comments at the courthouse steps and talked about why she did it and I love this she she said um she quoted Michelle Obama and she said when they go low we go high and I went as high as I could Mm. and I just watching the video of her statements just gave me chills and I just am forever grateful and appreciative for these people who are really risking a lot by um getting getting uh arrested and putting themselves in dangerous situations you know where wherever there's police presence there's always the threat of of danger especially for our friends of yeah mm -hmm. and so uh I just am my heart goes out to all these folks and people who are taking action you know taking taking action what they can control and and uh, really putting themselves out there for this. And so those are our, all the resistors. I feel like this is the summer of resistance. That's all of right. this has happened in the last couple of weeks. And um, yeah, so thank you to all of you. Um, yeah. You are our kindreds forever and kindreds of the moment. That's right. And I would say if, if any of you listening know of a great act of resistance, maybe it's just local to your town yeah. and not getting national attention. We would love to lift it up on the show. Yeah, the definitely. Episode. So send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com and we'll make sure to mention it on our next episode. But speaking of that, we are going to take a little bit of a break during the month of August to just kind of catch our breath. We've been doing a lot yeah. of shows uh, yeah. since January and 
for me, August means August recess, I think, just having lived in D.C. So we're just going to take August off to kind of regroup, but we'll be back with new episodes in September. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you, and I will talk to you in September. Yeah, and y'all go listen to the playlist Ashley made in the meantime. It'll give yes. you a little kindred's, you know, bump to keep you going. <laughs> until September. Yes, please do. Please do. I, right. I want to share my playlist with the world. <laughs> Talk to you then. <laughs> Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you. 